1: Welcome to New Books and Fantasy, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. This is your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the Historical Fantasy Falcon series, and Girl of Fire, the first in the YA fantasy series. My February interview is with Mike Chen, author of We Could Be Heroes, released January twenty-six. This quirky offbeat novel introduces us to two people, Zoe and Jamie, who both have amnesia and superpowers. While Jamie is a criminal who holds up banks, Zoe is a vigilante crime stopper. After her first attempt to arrest him goes south, Zoe and Jamie meet again at a memory loss group and develop an uneasy friendship. In many ways, they're the odd couple. Jamie, more quiet and thoughtful than your average bank robber, has a hard time letting his guard down with Zoe, whose superpowers include hovering in the air and lifting cars. However, the impulse to find out what happened to them unites them until Jamie finds out who's really pulling the strings. Original and personal, we could be heroes, sidesteps to tired tropes that populate Hollywood films for something more nuanced. So a little bit about Mike Chen. He says on his website he's always been a writer. When he was younger, he wrote and drew his own fan fiction before he even knew what fan fiction was. Most of this involved crossovers between his favorite franchises because mashing up Robotech with Space Quest made total sense in his brain. Once he graduated college with an engineering degree, he found additional work with writing for tech projects and covering the NHL for major sports outlets, but his head remained constantly filled with stories. Today, he's found his niche, blending science fiction elements and themes with a more grounded and intimate story. So here's a fun fact you won't find on his website, mikechenbooks.com. Mike writes, in this book, Normal, who's the cat, it's based on my cat, Nirmal. In Here and Now and Then, my cat Akasha also appeared as herself, and my dog River also appeared, and the name was changed, to Bamford for plot reasons. I am trying to cameo as many of my animals as possible, and the upcoming second contact has our late mini schnauzer tiger in it. So, sounds like Mike is a real animal lover. In a minute, I'm going to have him on the show, and we're going to do something totally new. We're going to do a reading together. Hi, today I've got Mike Chen on the show to talk about We Could Be Heroes. Morning, Mike. Good morning.
0: Thank you for having me. (laughs)
1: You're welcome. And Mike and I are going to try an experiment. We're going to try to read his piece together. As I've explained in the coverage of the novel, and as everyone probably knows, there are two main characters, a woman called Zoe and a guy called Jamie. So Mike is going to read Jamie's part and most of the novel, and I am just going to do Zoe's dialogue. So Mike, I'll let you start.
0: Okay, here we go. Are you um, going to change? Jamie asked without trying to sound too accusatory. What? She blinked at him and he managed a quick gesture at her outfit of track pants, a tank top and a stained dark blue cap with the words gone fishing on it, which clearly contrasted his own slacks and dress shirt.
1: You don't like my disguise? Found it on a roof? I thought it'd be perfect.
0: After leaving Zoe's, Jamie spent last night reading Anything and Everything Telos. The facility seemed like an expensive therapy center. Addiction, depression, anxiety, midlife crisis, or post-divorce soul searching. Under the so-called Telos principle, all of those things were driven by an underlying root cause they deemed the catastrophic emotional self. They even had scholarship programs and tiered payments for people with severe issues and no support and happy patients left all sorts of testimonials for them. Oh, it's, it's a cool hat. He said with a forceful nod. I just thought we were, you know, going to pretend we were inquiring about a tour that simplified things to the short, short version. In reality, Jamie had texted an entire phased approach after thinking about it during his ride home last night. It involved them pretending to be a couple on the brink of divorce, and they viewed Telos as a way to both heal their relationship and understand their own damage better, but they needed to tour the facility to determine if it was better to visit as individuals or as a couple. That then created a set of options where if the opportunity presented itself, either could break off into an individual tour to explore further, take notes, then examine potential areas to exploit for further reconnaissance, should it feel necessary. Zoe had replied with, OK, see you there, which Jamie took as complete agreement. But perhaps not. We really should look the part, he said, gesturing to himself. Did you bring a change of clothes?
1: Wait, what tour? What are you talking about?
0: I. Jamie bit down on his lower lip, and he almost dove into Zoe's mind to see if she remembered texting her reply. I sent a plan last night. Right, meet here. But to, like, pretend to tour the place so we can assess the situation, find clues, detective stuff to go with your detective board, you know? Zoe's lips pursed as a gust of wind tossed her hair back. She turned to face the facility Then she looked back at Jamie.
1: Is that what that was? Sorry, I was brushing my teeth when you texted. I'm a little tired, so I I didn't really read it.
0: Deep breaths, deep breaths. Jamie squashed the urge to cringe, exhaling at the cognitive dissonance being played out in real time here. He never worked with a partner before, and maybe that had always been a good thing. I'm... Okay, I, this can still work, but...
1: I thought about it while waiting for you, though. Um, I was just going to wing it.
0: The tour offered a reasonable way to get inside. It was much better than Zoe's non-plan. Look, I know we haven't been on friendly terms for too long, but I just have to say it. Winging it is a terrible plan. You sure you don't want to take...
1: Nah, it'll be fine. Find a way in, Jamie. I'm going to scout.
0: Find a way in. Okay, well, Jamie pulled out his phone and suppressed the urge to sigh. Just stay in touch? He looked again at the, okay, see you there from last night. In the midst of absolutely poor plans for spycraft, there was at least the lovely absurdity that the mind robber and the throwing star were texting. <laughs>
1: So that kind of describes the chaos that goes on in the novel sometimes. We're going to start talking about Joe, uh, Jamie and Zoe now. Um, one unique thing about your novel, Mike, is that the heroes and the antagonists confound expectations. The heroes, in many respects, live quite an ordinary and quiet life. There's nothing even as exciting as being a newspaper reporter or science was by day, much less something like masquerading as a rich and irresponsible playboy a la Batman's alter ego. Jamie saves all his money from bank robberies for the day he can flee to the Caribbean and lie on a beach reading novels. Zoe delivers food, though very quickly, since she she has special powers. What was the intention of presenting the characters like that?
0: Uh, I think one of the big differences with this book that that I really want to present is I I really wanted to ground um, the superhero and the supervillain in reality. Like you think about you know even if you have the ability to you know run fast or whatever, you have to have a job. You want know, you to have to or a mortgage and you know eat and deal with the logistics of life, you know, because we miss that a lot in superhero media because it's so focused on the fantastical, but not everyone has the resources of Bruce Wayne. You know, mm-hmm. just, that just doesn't happen. So it also, I, I, I wanted to have the reader ask themselves what they might do in such a situation. I, I really wanted to take existing comic book and superhero tropes, which you know, I, I clearly love. This this whole book really is a love letter to all the things that I, I grew up reading and I still read and I really love watching. But I want to turn them on their side, which is the, I think the novel gives the ability to do that in a different format than, um, you know, comic books or TV shows. It's very rare, I think, that people are all good or all bad. Um, and so this lets you get in their heads in a way that you don't really get to in other mediums. Um, so you can see like where is that gray area with these two.
1: Mm-hmm. They're more relatable, more human, more people we can identify with, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I identify more with Jamie, even though I'm a dog lover, not a cat lover. But Jamie loves cats <laughs> and he loves coffee and reading. And Zoe prefers cheap horror flicks, and she's allergic to cats. They don't really have (laughs) much in common. (laughs) All they have in common is the memory loss and those very rather limited superpowers. Yet, Jamie pretty much takes to Zoe, I'd say almost right away, even though he's a very careful kind of person. And it's certainly not a romantic relationship, uh, what do you think appeals to him about her?
0: I think they both have a bit of a yin and yang fulfillment in there. So Jamie is very methodical and he's quite fearful. Um, Zane, Zoe is impulsive and quite fearless. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of an opposites attract uh, type of thing in there. But, I, you know, I think we, as people, we, get that a lot in our relationships and our friendships. Um, And sometimes it's really great and fulfilling, you know, sometimes you find something in, in, in a friend that um, represents something that you can't personally do, but you wish you kind of had, Um, they can always veer into a little bit of toxicity, which, you know, I think we always have to be careful about, Mm -hmm. but in this case, um, Jamie and Zoe are, very, very different. Their powers are different, their approaches are different, their personalities are different, and I think because of that, there's something that they can learn from each other, and there's something very, very fulfilling in that, because in their core, um, they're both good people, and they recognize that in each other.
1: I think Jamie's a little jealous about the hovering that Zoe can do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would be, too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool. So in the course of the novel, we discover a little bit about the people Zoe and Jamie used to be. Have they changed for the better since they lost their memories?
0: So one of the big themes of this book is nature versus nurture. The idea is that at their core, they are fundamentally the same person that they used to be, and that, that's the nature aspect. So the the old version of Jamie is still um methodical and the old version of uh zoe is still impulsive um the shades of that and the decisions that encompass that that is influenced by the nurture aspect of our lives so when you see jamie's past it's clear that he's always been this this cautious person and that's how he achieved success in his world um but then the external influences were not necessarily healthy for him um, and And I think again that that's if you look at the the phases of who we are as people and and like the opportunities we get to reset, whether it 's like going to college or moving across the country or you know doing any sort of monumental life changes um we're we're given a chance to like recontextualize ourselves uh not in you know removing memories <laughs> with superpowers like like this is going on but we get a chance to kind of reset but the past always kind of stays with us and and remains with you know the core personality of how you approach things so um that i think Jamie has definitely started to point himself in a more productive direction, but he's still at, at his core. He's very methodical and he's still got this lingering fearfulness going on with him.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to Zoe, her memory loss is painful and she wants nothing more than to remember who she originally was. Jamie, on the other hand, would be happy to never find out what his past was like. Is this just related to Jamie's guilt or do you think it has to do with their personalities as well with Jamie being just kind of fearful and cautious to begin with?
0: Uh definitely a, a little bit of both. So Zoe is you know we talked about earlier Zoe's fearless and and she's fundamentally unfulfilled too. She she lacks direction. Um, and, and this is a, when you discover more about her, her previous life, it's still there. And you start to see the external factors why. So she's powerful, but also powerless at the same time. And that, that kind of drives her, um, which is like the opposite of Jamie's like knows what he wants, but he's very, very cautious about going there. So what you see is that they both retain little bits of their original identity and, and not to give away too much, but, it's not so much memory loss as it is like a block. So because it's a block, the, the accumulated experiences still have some underlying influence that, that seep through there. So their, their personalities are still somewhat there. Um, they just get pushed and pulled in different directions based on what they can consciously remember and what they consciously do.
1: Memory is strongly tied to a sense of place, which remains the most accurate recollection. What has happened to Zoe and Jamie in terms of place being a cue to their memories?
0: So as we see deeper in the book, the memories, like I said before, they're they're not necessarily erased, they're blocked off, and that the subconscious impacts of previous events is still lingering in their psyche. Um, I'm fascinated by the idea of a mental reset. Um, I've explored this in my other books as well, and and I think personally, you know, what I talked about earlier, where like if you, you know, when you have a child, or when you go to college, or when you move across the country, um, I think it's really fascinating to see how people take their, you know, emotional baggage with them where they go, and they how they do or don't use those life-changing events as an opportunity to kind of reset and reclaim their lives. So in this case there is a reset but the damage of the past has left some scars and that's very much that's very common with people who we tend to have associations with key items when it comes to traumatic events so like a place or a smell or a song and in this case location and time play very significant roles in in how they're processing or totally avoiding um what their previous lives were, and part of it is that um, they do get flashes of the their previous memories. and it's they're very quick flashes, so it's very visual. So that suddenly ties into the location element for them. Um, so they they're still chasing you know their past. Um, that's kind of like the big, mission in in the um as the book really gets going into like the main story and and the you know the conspiracies underneath it um but it's tied to like just being able to get small senses of who they used to be and, and you know in our normal lives like we might get that out of a um you know we smell something and that that food reminds us of a certain time or place but they don't have quite the access to their memories of that so for them it's very much visual and well, a I guess location I was sort specifically
1: of thing. thinking about the one thing that they both have in common is they wake up in apartments that apparently belong to them where there's a lease signed in their name but those apartments lack any kind of personalized trigger and uh that's how they've been set up
0: right yes it's it's um from a practical perspective the 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 villain who sets those up for for them it's a very simple way to mm-hmm. create a that clean slate um and, and you know you you see a little bit more why there's the, the purpose for that um but also from um metaphorically from like a, the book's theme it's um you know again how what do we do when we reset ourselves and we approach things with a theoretical blank slate? And the the truth is like, we never have a, a blank slate. You know, we always carry things with, we can move into an empty apartment. We can fly across the country. You know, we can, you know, take a new job or whatever. But if, if we haven't worked through the things that came before that, there's always going to be a little bit of the mm-hmm. past that stays with uh, us.
1: Losing some of our past though, uh our our past is kind of the groundwork for imagining our future to we need to know where we've been to know where we're going and I wondered if you could reflect for us on how that ties into your novel
0: yeah so i I keep talking about the you know mental resets um and emotional resets. I actually just realized doing some some of the upcoming publicity for this book that um, all of my books touch on this. And is this was not a conscious decision. Um, here and now and then use time travel um, mm-hmm. as like a plot device to reset people. And then a beginning at the end saw people choosing to or being forced to reset after the collective trauma of a pandemic, w- which was <laughs> you know, really weird yes, to promote and- during yeah. the pandemic. <laughs> um, here we have literal memory reset through superpowers um but in all cases the message remains the same it's that it's in all of my books um it's necessary to deal with the past to move forward um i mean this is like textbook psychology and i think so many of us um we tend to fail at this and and i think it's been really good that you know a, a lot of our culture has normalized like therapy and Really, trying to dig through our past over the past you know ten, twenty years, um, because we are very, very good at running away from it or trying to sweep it under the rug. I mean even now in in America, um, post election, we're talking mm-hmm. politically about unity, um, and you have you have people trying to overlook the accountability aspect, and, and like sweeping under the rug just like never, never works. You either wind up getting into the same destructive cycle or you wind up taking out your feelings in in another direction. You know, healing, it takes time and processing. So otherwise, you're just always going to be like mentally and emotionally trapped. So um, the past is important, but it's really about like what do you do with it in order Mm -hmm. to move forward in a healthy way? Well,
1: um, another aspect of your novel uh, every hero needs a villain. So tell us a little about your villain or villainess. Does he or she have an altruistic goal or is that person just plain evil?
0: So I knew I wanted the story to be about a superhero and a supervillain who become friends. Um, and if you do that, then you take the villain off the table. Um, you know, it it really needs a third party there. So I, I wanted to play, um, I want to have a traditional, you know, super powered story structure where there is a big bad and, you know, the, the, the protagonists have to take care of that person um, because this whole story is riffing mm-hmm. off of comic book and superhero tropes. Just, you know, like I said earlier, it's kind of t- turning them on their side. Um, so, for this villainess um who you meet about halfway through the book um i wanted to use some of uh, i really enj- enjoy how comic books present their their villains like they usually give them this fake <laughs> science and sometimes sometimes the fake science works and sometimes it uh it's just like way out there um i i really appreciate how x men really tries to like it's plausible science even though it's completely fantastical um so there is a purpose to this the story itself is too grounded for the villain to just be like a cackling maniacal person um which i that's which is why i thought it was funny to make like In the first chapter, Jamie very consciously makes the whole cackling Mm -hmm. villain thing like part of his shtick. Um, you know, so that's a little nod to, you know, comic book tropes, but also to differentiate that like this is very much grounded in reality. No one actually acts like that. (laughs) You know. So Jamie is doing that purely to, to put to make his own job easier. Um so I wanted someone for the, the main villain, I wanted her to have a really logical purpose. So you can understand why she goes this far and then ask if the ends justify the means. Because I think in a way, if you look at what, what her goal is and the sacrifices she demands to accomplish it, um, like just from a big picture, like, you know, better world versus smaller sacrifice calculation, her goals, it could logically argue that her, her goals mm-hmm. are worth what she's doing. And, and so that sort of like moral, that moral gray area, um, I think that's the most interesting way to play to play villains, um, and especially in a world this grounded, like despite the superpowers, mm-hmm. it is very, yeah. very grounded.
1: So uh, you've continued to write and uh, 2020 has been a challenging year for you as well as for many other people. Uh, you've indicated it's been more difficult to write. So tell us a little bit about your life and the adjustments you've made to continue to be productive during this time.
0: I have been productive somehow. Um, my, I, I mean, I think like all of, the, all of the parents out there, like our biggest life shifts is um, having to deal with virtual school. Um, And I imagine it's quite different if you have like someone in high school who can kind of be autonomous and and on their own and they have a different set of problems to deal with. Um, For us, like we have virtual kindergarten and we have no child care. So um, at the end of the day, we are just spent um like my daughter goes to bed like around 8 and then my wife and I are like maybe we'll stay <laughs> up and watch an episode of star mm-hmm. trek and then like we're just collapse at the end um I, I find writing um even when i force myself to take breaks i go back to writing after a short while because i find it very re- um emotionally recharging like that's even though it it can be um you know even though it takes brain power I feel like that creativity is very fueling in a way, so um, it's very healthy for me to do that, but I don't always have the physical energy to to do it i there my writer friends who are parents we've kind of formed our own little support group to try to get through this because it's like it's a very unique challenge to be on deadline or have to promote something but also have your your day job overlap with your parenting life so um, the, one of the things that i've tried to do differently. And I started doing this about six months ago is I start writing in 15 to 30 minute sprints because that like, you know, four hour block of like very concentrated effort, like that's not there anymore. (laughs) It just doesn't exist. (laughs) So, um, I try to get up early, write for like 30 to 45 minutes and then, you know, begin with my day. And then if there's a break sometime in there, like if my daughter watches a show or something like that i put on like noise canceling headphones and i sprint for 20 to 30 minutes um and the the good thing i would say you know there there are silver linings to the pandemic like you know just like how um so many more of us know how to use zoom and video chat and like there's like the infrastructure to do like book like i have two book events this week and you know one of them is across the country um and that infrastructure mm-hmm. didn't exist before. So um, similarly, like like I now know that I can write in fifteen to thirty minute blocks and be productive, and I know how to do that now. So silver linings to to all this, but uh, um, I would like my life. To not <laughs> yeah, be yeah. In 10. yeah. <laughs> I would be. I would not be so. Exhausted I'm curious when you time. write in
1: fifteen or half hour sprints. Uh, Does the cohesiveness suffer or are you able to have it work with the rest of what you've written?
0: I think it helps a lot that I am um, that I work with an outline so I can the way that I usually um, the way that I usually draft is first Mm -hmm. I start with an, Uh an outline with a beat sheet and then each of those breaks down into individual acts and then each act I kind of start mapping out into chapters. So I start from a very top level and then I break it down and I get more granular with it. So I know, I know where I'm at. And if I'm feeling a little bit of a block and I know I don't have that much time, I'll just Mm -hmm. skip ahead and move to like the next chapter or whatever. Um, And I will write fast. If I get stuck on a phrase or, or a dialogue beat or something, I'll put in a placeholder. So if it's like, you know, she cries here or like he is upset here, you know, just like in big capital letters and i will come back to it. And that way I can always keep moving forward. Um, and then, you know, try to hit, try to move the story as as far along as possible, um, in that short block of time. And then I know I, I can go back and recover it later. So the, the drafts, the mm-hmm. first drafts are extra messy uh, this time around, but, but, um, but then I know where to go to to go back with it. So I, I'm in the process of uh, of drafting book five. So we could be heroes as book three. Um, and I'm I'm about a quarter of the way through my first draft of book five, and it is really messy and ugly right now.
1: Well, tell so us a little bit uh, before we uh, stop the show and let you get back to work. Tell us a little bit about this book five that you're working on. If you're ready to share anything.
0: Sure. Well, so, um, so We Could Be Heroes comes out, um, this is January 2021. I'm on a basically Mm -hmm. an an annual cycle with my publishers. So, book four is called Second Contact, and that comes out January 2022. And that's a very X Files inspired, um, story of, uh, how an an alien abduction takes away a, a sibling in a family. Um, only to come back 15 years later. But in that time, the family has completely fractured and changed. And it's about how that sort of like generational trauma can break a family apart. And then what do they do when they have the opportunity to come back? Um, it was very inspired by the, there's the, the series that does that really, really well mm-hmm. is, um, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Um, and also like The Haunting of Bly Manor, the follow-up one. Um, I I watched the first one, the, the Haunting of Hill House, and I was just blown away at how it could take a very supernatural, fantastical event like a haunting and then turn it into a story about generational trauma and, and how family falls apart and comes back together. Um, and so this is kind of like the X-Files alien take on that. And so that comes out January 2022. Um, and then the book... And I've turned that in, so we're just doing final revisions on it right now. And then the book that comes after that, <laughs> um, which I am struggling to draft <laughs> right now, is it's called uh, Vampire Weekend. And I'm so glad that vampires are back because I grew up as a teen goth who loved vampires. Um, and this is, I think, uh, I joke that it's the most wholesome vampire oh, story that's ever going to be written because it's about, uh, uh, it's about a vampire who... Um, she uses her immortality to play music and go to punk rock shows um, and just kind of run away from the things that uh, drove her to, to like finding subcultures in the first place. But then she gets connected with a long lost relative who is a very, very damaged and hurt teenage boy and is forced to kind of confront her own lack of humanity um, while trying to help him overcome his grief. Um, so that is in very rough stages right now. Um, uh, uh, it's not good right now, but hopefully, it will better over the next year. Um, and my deadline to, to actually write that is at the end of this year. So I have I have twelve months to to make this good, um, and that will well, come out those in January are great
1: So we look forward to seeing more of your work. And thanks so much for making time for the New Books Network today. Thanks for listening to me today on the New Books Network in Fantasy. I've been talking to Mike Chen about his quirky superhero novel, We Could Be Heroes. Join me when I talk to Shannon McGuire about Across the Grass Green Fields, the Six and Wayward Children series. I'm your host, Gabrielle Matthew, author of the YA Fantasy Girl of Fire the first in the Barona Quest series. You'll find the podcast schedule on my website, gabriellematthew.com. You can also follow me on Twitter to get updates about new podcasts and more. At Gabrielle Author, my name is spelled G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E. And I hope you'll drop in for March's program.